You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. I know for many, when it comes to this idea of NFTs and Web3 and creator economy, cryptocurrency, metaverse, social tokens, blockchain, uh, we could go into edge computing, 5G technology, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Part of us want to kind of just say, holy hell, can we get just like a, a pause or a stop? Can we kind of go back a little bit? Can we shift or kind of like pause. And, and I think you know, it's very easy for us to, to recognize that this is a lot of change at once. It's a lot of change at once in how we look at the technology, where this technology kind of plays into our lives. And then even probably more so than anything else, we also have to recognize that you know in this kind of emerging Web3 world, one of the big shifts is the fact that it is a big shift. And we are moving from a, a way of, of internet life that we've been accustomed to since really many of us kind of lived into the internet to a shift in how everything is kind of delivered, where things are going. And so I want to kind of touch on just this idea of Web 1, Web 2, Web 3, and, and ho hopefully help kind of connect the dots. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more in a future episode about like the role NFTs play directly in the creator economy. I'm going to also talk a little bit more about kind of the breakdown of, of some of the, the schematics of what all of this means in the bigger picture. But really what we have to think about in like the web one uh, arena of where we were to where we are now and kind of how that all kind of comes together. If you think about it this way, web one, which was kind of like 1989, to 2005 was really this idea of we create something online or someone builds something online and we consume it, right? So it was very much of a, of a passive experience. Like we, you know, the users went there and just read. So it was more of a, a read only type experience. Web two, which kind of emerged in uh, late 1990s, 1999 um, was really focused on this idea of creation of content the ability to us to have social interaction, which is that like read right back and forth and also like user generated content, right? So the fact that we as users of the internet were also now adding to the content of the internet and that opened up many doors and one could argue it opened up just as many good as it opened up just as many bad. But if we think about this from a, a bigger picture perspective on what all of this means and even how we can kind of factor in things like, you know, where we're going. Part of it was we were originally a read only internet world. And then we became a read write internet world, right? Where we were reading, but we were also writing, um, you know, to the internet. 
And now Web3 and where we've kind of moved and really Web3 started in like the mid 2000s, but really it's emerging over the last uh, many years is the idea. It's not only read, it's not only write, but it's also this idea of execution or what I like to think of it as is really immersive interactions, right? The idea that it's not just about what we write or what we read, but it's actually looking at the bigger picture of all of our actions and how do those things kind of factor in. Now, if you want to simplify, you know, simplify it this way, right? The, the web one was the just websites. Web two was blogs, social media, and content creation. And web three is the idea of artificial intelligence, true machine learning, and this idea that it's not just about what we put on the internet or what we read on the internet, but it's about tying a lot of these things together. Now, we've used the word in the, on the podcast a lot, the word decentralization. And I think it's, I don't, it's definitely not a buzzword, but it's something that we throw around a lot when it comes to like what this whole world means. But really, what we have to be focusing on is actually the technology that I started talking about back in 2013, which is this idea of blockchain and the blockchain you know, technology of really what blockchain enables and, and how all of these things come together. Now, before we talk blockchain, we have to also recognize the world that we've been living in up until today. And I know for many, you've probably heard me say this on stage, but it's important for me to, um, you know, kind of reiterate this again, is that, you know, if you've been using a service or a network or a platform for free, you've been paying for it with your data and your time and attention. Let me say that again. If you've been using a platform for free, you've been paying with it with your data, your time and your attention. Now, one could actually argue that that data now, part of the reason that Web3 even exists is we've realized that actually in many cases, the data we can provide is far more worth, far more money, far more value to businesses, to brands, to world, you know, to world domination than any financial amount of money. And what I mean by that is if we think about it from a marketing or advertising perspective, The fact that we give up our data on what we like, what we do, what we interact, what we don't like, what we consume, what we want more of, we're pretty much giving all of this data voluntarily to the the secret to service up, you know, with a more direct uh, to consume uh, experience. And let's face it, you know, Facebook ads, the reason Facebook is worth so much money and the reason, you know, Facebook ads have existed in the way they have is because it's the data that has never existed offline before, right? If, if you were able to supply some of the greatest salespeople in the world to do offline sales and you were able to give them, hey, I'm going to give you all this information about the people. I'm going to only put you in front of the people that are ready to buy and that have all of the qualities that you want. I mean, you would hit it out of the park. And really, that's what you know, we've kind of lived in in this world is this Web2 world where the data that we were providing you know, the actions that we were taking was providing data for, for really businesses, brands to monetize, to scale, to grow. Where we're moving towards now is like, wait a second. If, if our data is that valuable, why are the businesses, the entities, the platforms making all of the money 
why aren't we as the users also able to not only make money or to control the data that we actually you know, have at our disposal, but why aren't we able to also take advantage of that and leverage that for the things that we want to do? And it's really not like a entrepreneur versus like enterprise play. It's more of like platform versus individual play. And so one of the big pieces of this is the idea that, you know, I, you know, my background being in cybersecurity for nine years, you know, I've always played in this line where I never looked at privacy as something that really existed anymore. And I know that can be scary for a lot of people, but I've always looked at it as kind of like selective uh, exposure or selective sharing where, you know, it's funny because people will like, Brian, I don't want to put my, my salary online. I don't want to talk about how much money I make. Yet, let's face it, I mean, between the amount of data that we have at our disposal, the way that we're able to, to data mine things, we're able to see job postings that are similar to yours, we're able to understand what past contracts, what future contracts are going to be sold for. For the most part, we can figure out a lot of this data, a lot of this information that we've been quote unquote hiding from people, right? Like the idea that's like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to put my address online because I don't want people to know where I live. Well, for, the, for many of us, we remember what a phone book looked like, and we remember the fact that you know, we could pretty much look up anyone uh, anywhere and figure out who they were, what, you know, what they were about you know, based on their name. So like, a lot of that has shifted. Now, the, the reason a lot of that has become such a high attention is because when we have easier access to data and information, it gives us, it gives us as well as those bad actors the ability to leverage that data, that information for both good and for evil, right? And I can't say this enough. You know, there's no technology, no innovation since the beginning of time has ever fixed stupid or stopped bad people from doing bad things. But when we think about this, we have to think about like that balance, right? And part of the beauty of Web3 and where we're moving is this idea that we as individuals will have a lot more control while also being able to live in a more transparent exchange of value, of information, of how we kind of live online. Now, with that also comes this idea of, you know, how do we monetize? How do we get paid for the things, the information, the data that we're sharing? But also, how do we, how do we know who has what and, and where all of these things are kind of going? And that's kind of an, an exciting time for us because now we kind of get to re-examine a lot of the world that we've lived in. Now, with all of that, there also comes this idea with the more data sharing that we enable, we also have to think about it from the sharing of data and information that we are not voluntarily putting out there, right? Where when we think about data collection in the web two world, it's kind of like, um, what are those groups called, right? It's a, a not a survey group, but you know, it's a group of people brought together and said, okay, we're going to, this is our sample size. This is our sample group. We're going to survey them. And because they match a lot of the demographics, we're going to assume based on, uh, you know, this group of information that we can determine, uh, trends based on what they're voluntarily going to share with us. Well, with the emergence of things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and then you combine that with you know, devices in this Internet of Things world where we have you know, smart speakers and we have uh, you know, ring doorbells and we have things like Siri, which Siri is really a, a Web3-enabled uh, app for all intents and purposes. 
what we're really enabling now is this ambiguous real I mean it's kind of a, an interesting world where it's no longer just about we being connected it's about this actually this true shift to a peer to peer example and a peer to peer world and in web 2 you know this is way I you know I like to think about it from a standpoint of you know if you were creating a blog or you were putting information online you would you would bring the information together you would select the tags and the categories that you want people to to discover your content in the web 3 world it's less about hey i'm creating the content and putting these buckets and it's more of like i'm creating the content and putting it out there and then thanks to artificial intelligence machine learning it's going to decide not only who should find that information or where that information should live but what is that experience live or look like for each one of those individuals. And, you know, it, it comes down to a lot of, you know, change in architecture, change in the way that we, we think about, like, the different layers and, and the world that we're living in. Now, Web3 isn't all advantages, but there are definitely some advantages in the idea of data privacy and control. The idea that now that once we're logging things in the blockchain or that we are being able to put things into our wallets where it's no longer, you know, Google or Apple or Amazon or Facebook, they can't log into my, uh, you know, to my actual wallets, right? Like I hold the seed phrase, I hold the keys, this information, this data, what is stored on this is mine and mine only. Now, you can argue that also comes with that risk, but that's, that's one of them. Another one that we can think about is this like idea of removing some of the, um, some of the really the barriers, but also some of the friction that has existed in our day-to-day lives and really giving us this like seamless services, seamless, you know, um, interaction to where we no longer are going to have to work with the middlemen or the interact, you know, those, those middle groups. And that's really what blockchain threatens the most, right? Blockchain ultimately threatens the middle tiered experiences that have existed everywhere, right? And, and for many of us that, that we can think about it in how we share our, our data or how we share our money, right? How we, how we pay, who, like who facilitates a payment, right? In the in the Web two world, like I'm going to put my money into PayPal, and I'm going to send my my information, my my money from you know with PayPal to another person. Well, PayPal is that intermediate, right? Like they're the ones that are facilitating that transaction. But in the blockchain world, all I need is your wallet address, and I send things from me directly to you without any intersection in between. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. I do not need to figure out, like, hey, is Venmo working Canada? Hey, is PayPal okay in the UK? Whatever that may be. And so a lot of this removal of friction and middle ground well, first of all, it's threatening a lot of companies, a lot of businesses, a lot of uh, you know businesses and and services have been have been really taking advantage of, or sitting in that role, and now they're going to become obsolete, right? And like those are the businesses, you know, and that's why banks, of course, are are very you know uh, overwhelmed or you know worried about this. But this is also requiring us to even you know shift how we think about transparency and how we think about. Um, you know, data accessibility, right? Because now if there is no middle person kind of adding that like weird layer of our data, 
now we're able to see a lot of like, I have my, I have something, I send it to you. Previously, it was, I have something, I put it for sale. What I have, where I put it for sale facilitates the interaction there. And there's a lot of loss, right? There's a lot of this idea of like, I don't know who owns what, right? Even in the sense of like, when you sell a house, right? When you're selling a house, in most cases or in many cases, that house, that transaction is facilitated through so many different um, you know, vehicles, so many different middle uh, scenarios that it's not really a one-to-one interaction, but it really is, right? Like I own the house, someone else is buying it from me and going to move in, yet we've kind of created a lot of these layers. Now, with this like Web3, you know, other part of this is we, as we shift our data and our information onto the blockchain and allow that transparency yet also encryption and privacy, one of the things that's really going to be powerful is that we're now able to process big data without having big data problems. And what I mean by that is previously the data collected was very siloed, right? Where you would have the, the marketing team would be collecting some data. The sales team would be collecting some data. The hiring team would be collecting some data. Probably the, the PR comms team would be collecting some data. And being able to bring that data together and then being able to overlap it to understand what's going on, let's face it, was a very complex uh, scenario and it, and it caused more problems in most cases than what was kind of worth it for us. So when we think about this Web3 world and where all of this is coming together, part of the beauty of this Web3 shift is a mindset shift more so than anything else. It's the mindset shift away from saying, hey, these are the things and ways that we interact to saying, I now can control, I now can you know, own a lot of the things that previously we just gave away without much uh, you know, hesitation to it. Now, the interesting part about this is that it kind of plays into what our pop is for this, de- for this episode, which is our proof of podcast, um, which is we is greater than me. So for those that are playing along at home, we is greater than me is our, is our uh, phrase here for our last one here in February. And what I mean by that is I've always said that to be part of a great we, you must first be the best me that you can be, right? It's a very play on words, right? So, and, and it's very simple, right? Like to be part of a great team, you first have to know what your strengths and weaknesses are and come to the table being the best person that you are so that A, you can share and interact, but B, if you are at your best, it also allows you to consume and know what you need, right? Like I really feel like self-awareness, knowing what you don't know is actually a superpower that people don't really often tap into, and it's something that you have to really factor into things like collaboration and teamwork and this idea of like, how do we grow together? How do we move forward together? But interestingly enough, you would, you would almost think that by removing the power from the big players and giving it back to individual, individuals, it's going to make you know, the idea of teamwork and collaboration and co-creation more difficult. But it's actually not if and when we move into this world of this like decentralized sharing and we switch our mindset to this idea that just because we know something, it does not make us smarter or does not make us better by holding it on to it, right? The ways of the old where if you know something, you should hold on to it because by holding on to the information that nobody else has, 
you are now worth more money. You are more valuable. But as we've learned, it's actually those that are willing to share, to educate, to push forward, to innovate, to open source. Those are the people that are actually more valuable. But that is a mindset shift, right? And the whole adage like, you know, what if you get hit by a bus, right? Like I remember hearing that growing up. This is a shift in how we think of ownership. It's a shift in how we think of the transfer of value. And it's even a shift in, in even how we even think about the role the internet will play in our lives, right? And let's face it, right now, our, our, most of our devices, even our phones for the most part, aren't very smart, like, we could call it a smartphone, but let's face it, like, even the idea that my phone isn't aware that I'm at home, right? Like, yes, we can put in some things that are voluntarily, but shouldn't it know that I spend this amount of hours in this one location, and based on the trends of the average human being, if they spend this amount of time in one location, more than likely that is their physical home, right? Like that idea of like being able to truly determine things. Like even like a smart refrigerator, right? Like the idea right now, like my daughters and I, when we go to the grocery store, I take pictures of the fridge. I take pictures of our cabinet so we know what we have um, at home so we don't buy duplicates and we, we don't forget to buy ketchup when we only have a little bit of ketchup left. But in this world where 5G technology is going to allow us to be more connected at higher speeds, and the idea that we're going to be able to have automate, you know, true artificial intelligence, shouldn't we actually be able to have our refrigerator connected to our phone and our refrigerator tells us what is in there, what is, you know, hey, you only have three beers left in your six pack. Hey, your gallon of milk is down to... 2% left of it. And we know based on your milk consumption habits that it's going to last you 1.1 days. Now that might sound a little like not freaky, but you know, Hey, it's a lot of information, but let's face it. We're living in a world where all of this information is there. We have the ability for us to be able to determine a lot of this information. The problem has been where this information lives and how it's shared has been kind of, has really been in this weird centralized world where we can't put all that information in one location. And so the most exciting part about this with Web3, and it connects perfectly into NFTs, is we now are shifting our mindset into this collaboration, community, and co-creation environment. Those are like the three C's, right? We have collaboration, community, and co-creation. Now, with those three C's, in this world where, hey, we are decentralized, the question now becomes, well, if we are now decentralized and we're holding, we, you know, we're, we now control our data information, how do we find others that are like us if that information or data is not publicly um, at brands or platforms' disposals? This is where you insert NFTs, where NFTs, a non-fungible token, gives us the ability to add identity to a decentralized world, right? The idea that this is something that is identifying with me and I am the only one that has it, hence it's non-fungible. But it also, it has that individuality, but it also connects me to a greater community. So when people talk about like NFTs are, are, are fake and NFTs are crap and you know NFTs are just a, a Ponzi scheme and um, you know, money making and 
Yes, right now we are dealing with majority of people that are in NFTs or crypto are in it simply for the money. And hey, we are living in a dot com world, not a dot org world. Uh, I am not one. That, I, I am. Hey, I need to make money, and and that's something that I know. Even with like this podcast, with a, with a buying an NFT every single day, you know, it's something that I've had to recognize that if I'm not, you know, adding sponsors to the podcast, if I'm not taking in money, like I'm not going to be able to deliver the value long-term that I want to deliver for all of you that are listening. Now, with that being said, this is where NFTs really shift that, that narrative because anyone can launch an NFT and an NFT can ultimately represent anything and everything, right? And I've, and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast and I'm going to do a whole episode. Uh, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be tomorrow's episode or the day after this episode on this idea of, you know, NFTs and the creator economy. But I think it's really important for us to understand web three and the blockchain. And then even more so than anything else, I know a lot of people will say, Brian, you know, what we're doing with NFTs, can't that be done with a basic QR code? Or hasn't that always been done with a Facebook group? Or hasn't that always been done with a gym membership when we show up to our gym? Well, yes, in many ways, what we're doing is we're taking a lot of this functionality, a lot of these services, a lot of these goods, a lot of these products that were Web2 enabled, and we need them to be, be able to be empowered in a Web3 world where we take away the control rather than the, the gym membership being controlled by the gym. Shouldn't the gym membership, because I, I'm, I'm going to put this out there, right? And this is kind of me on the fly. If a gym, if, if a gym existed and everyone decided to no longer go to that gym, would that gym still be in business? I'll answer it for you. No. So therefore, if you think about it, it's the people that are actually using the gym memberships that control and determine the value of that gym. But in the Web2 world we've lived in, they determine how long our contracts are, what happens if we want to quit the gym early, what happens if we move locations. And let's face it, that power dynamic has been backwards since day one. Shouldn't the fact that I, I know that by me holding this gym membership, I am contributing to this gym existing. But if I move, shouldn't I be able to sell my gym membership that I paid for, that I actually have that, that ownership rights to? And so these are the things that we're shifting in Web3. And so really for those that are like kind of like, okay, Brian, you kind of overwhelmed me. Brian, you talked about a lot of different things. Like, what does this all mean? You're not going to need to know about like what's the difference between, uh, you know, a semantic web uh, web versus, you know, with blockchain versus a non, you know, uh, version. Or you're not going to need to understand like what is edge computing and Internet of Things mean to uh, the world prior to. What we need to think about this is if we want to shift the, the balance, we understand, like every person that's listening to this, you should understand that your data and information, the, the time and attention you spend on things is actually the value that you provide. Everything from what TV, what TV programs you watch determines if a TV show is renewed for the next year, right? And what music you listen to determines which artists continue to get signed. And we as individuals have always had that control, always been the variable that determines value. 
Yet we've never had the actual ability to control and methodically move that around, right? The idea of like a, a Nelson box, um, right? Or Nielsen, a Nielsen box on our TV determining which, you know, we've all heard it, right? Like, how did that TV show get canceled? That was my favorite TV show and all my friends loved it. Well, probably more than likely, they were taking a sample size of what they quote unquote believed was a, a, the right demographic and they were making assumptions based on that. Well, what if we could take away the need to make assumptions and we were able to have all of this transparent information and data logged on the blockchain to where it was no longer making assumptions of what people wanted or didn't want or what people were using or not using. And we were actually able to leverage that to actually make the right decisions at the right time. And to me, this is where it is truly a we is greater than me scenario. But what we have to recognize is in Web 2, we had all the power. The we had all the power. In Web 3, we're going to give the power back to the me so that we can redefine the we that we want to be a part of. Now, hopefully you kind of calculate a little bit of that steps. I'm also going to do an episode where I kind of break down uh, you know, the four, what I consider like the four spokes into, or we could really call it the four highways into the Web 3 world. And those, of course, are cryptocurrency, social tokens or creator coins, NFTs, uh, and the metaverse. Uh, and we also have some episodes coming up on uh, the metaverse, understanding a little bit more uh, of that world. But I really just want to, I, I recognize I was going through um, all of our, our uh, episodes here on the podcast, trying to, to like, okay, what are the things we talked about? What are the things we haven't talked about? And I recognize there was a big gap on trying to help us wrap our head around Web3. Because I know for so many of you, like, you're probably the only person in your friend group right now that are interested in NFTs. And if you're not, like, can I be friends with your friend group? Because <laughs> actually, that's why we have our Discord, right? Discord.gg slash ADHD coin. Jump over to our Discord. You'll find a, a bunch of people that share the same purpose um, and passion as you as well. So with all of that being said, you know, we are going to go through this mindset shift together we are, it, there's not like an easy button. There's not a, Hey, like, let me, you know, let me upgrade from web two to web three. Like there's no like direct easy way to do that, but it starts with the mindset shift. It starts with understanding what things we now can control and what things we can't control. We must a mindset shift to understand what are the, the, the things that we enjoyed in web two that we need to reimagine in web three. If we shift that power dynamic, we shift how we share value and we eliminate borders and barriers to how all of these things interact. Can you guys tell that I'm uh, just a little bit passionate and a little bit excited about Web3? Um, if you're a part of a business, an organization, an association, and you want uh, to help your organization understand Web3, this is something that I do give a keynote on. I don't really promote my own business that I, you know, that, that pays my bills, which is uh, as a full-time speaker, but uh, I'm going to put it out there. If you want you know, me to help, and I customize my talks to your audience, to your demographic, to your world, um, if that's something of interest to you, uh, you can just hit, you know, hit us up. Um, any of the social channels, or even just send me an email, uh, brian at isocialfans.com. Uh, and I would love to find a way to, to collaborate and uh, bring a lot of these messages to your organization, to your association, to your business, um, your mastermind, whatever that may be. So until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers.